This is Archbishop Blaise Supich, Archbishop of Chicago. Today, I invite you to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a non-for-profit apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization that utilizes media, both old and new, to share the faith on every continent and facilitate an encounter with Christ in His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire Catholic Ministries engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. This is an invitation to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. When our hearts are open, the Lord changes and transforms us so that we in turn begin to share the warmth and light of Jesus Christ, who is the Word on Fire. The global benefactors of Word on Fire Catholic Ministries, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, on this great feast of the Ascension, I want to turn again to the biblical scholar N.T. Wright, someone whom I find to be one of the most reliable guides in matters of heaven and earth. That's a phrase that we hear a lot in the Bible, the creator of heavens and the earth, the Lord of heaven and earth, etc. And it's implied throughout the readings for today. For what we celebrate today is the transition of the resurrected Jesus from earth to heaven. That's what the ascension means. He's ascended to another dimension. But see, what precisely is the relationship between heaven and earth? So what does this ascension from one to the other entail? Those are our questions. As I mentioned, Wright's been very helpful in clarifying how, in regard to this issue, we've been tremendously shaped, not so much by the Bible, as by the prejudices of the Enlightenment. Now, what do I mean? Well, in the 18th century, with the rise of the physical sciences and a new burst of confidence in human possibilities, thinkers at the highest level of European culture introduced a kind of two-tier understanding of the relation between heaven and earth. Most of the Early modern thinkers, the Enlightenment philosophers, held that God exists. They weren't atheists. They believed in God. But they saw him as living in a distant and essentially separate realm called heaven, from which he looks out, if he bothers to look out at all, on the human project moving along pretty much on its own steam. Think again here of, of deism, which is a very common view in the 18th century. Many of our founding fathers were deists. If I can put it this way, heaven exists, but there's a kind of ladder that connects heaven to earth, but there's very little real commerce on that ladder. Uh, earth and heaven have little to do with each other. Now, to follow N.T. Wright's analysis, what happened in time is that as confidence in the human project grew, interest in heaven and the things of heaven waned. And so this ladder, on which there was already very little commerce, was pretty much kicked out. 
I mean, what's the point? Heaven, God's in his heaven, I guess, and all's right with the world, but the two have little to do with each other. If there's a heaven, fine, but we have no real connection to it, and after all, who cares? Finally, with people like Marx and Feuerbach and Freud and their myriad disciples, we have the view that, well, heaven is just an illusion. It's just this weird fantasy, and that pining after it or worrying about it is making all of us sick and alienated. There's the trajectory. From a two-tiered understanding of heaven and earth, we eventually come to atheism, to the irrelevance of heaven. Now, here's N.T. Wright's point. The entire trajectory that I've been describing is completely unbiblical. It might be modern, it might be enlightenment, but it's not biblical. It has very little to do with what the scriptural authors meant when they used the phrase heaven and earth. What am I talking about? For the biblical authors, heaven and earth are tightly interwoven. It's not a two-tiered view with a, a ladder connecting the two, but rather heaven, the realm of God, is tightly interwoven with earth. The realm of the spirit and the realm of nature are in tight communication. And God indeed, again, listen to the Bible, begin to end, God indeed is the Lord of both heaven and earth. They are both, accordingly, integrated dimensions of the one creation. Our creed, for example, speaks of God creating things both visible and invisible, the heavenly and the earthly, but they belong together to the same creation. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Now, that's a biblical perspective. See, I'm driving it. The bringing together of heaven and earth. Or, go to the end of the New Testament, the end of the whole Bible, when we, we see the heavenly Jerusalem coming down to earth. That's the Bible. The full integration of heaven and earth. Now, the reason I'm bringing all this up today is I think we tend to read the Ascension along essentially Enlightenment lines rather than biblical lines, and this causes a good deal of mischief. See, on the Enlightenment two-tier reading of heaven and earth, the Ascension means that Jesus has gone up, up, and away. He's gone off to a distant and finally irrelevant place. And that's why atheists today reading these texts might just say, well, we're just dealing in wild fantasies here, mythology. The biblical point is this. Jesus, in ascending to heaven, has not gone up, up, and away. But rather he's gone to heaven so as to to direct operations more fully and completely on earth. Again, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. He's not gone away into irrelevance. 
But if I can put it this way, he's gone more deeply into our world. He's gone to a dimension that, yes, transcends ours, but at the same time impinges deeply upon ours. Here's something now that I think we often overlook in this famous uh, reading. The line of the angels to the disciples as they stare into the sky after the ascended Jesus. Listen now what the angels say. This Jesus, who's been taken up from you into heaven, will return in the same way as you've seen him going. Remember again the book of Revelation where the heavenly Jerusalem comes down to earth. The idea is not like just to draw everybody up up and away from earth to heaven, but rather heaven and earth coming together. The point here is Jesus has not abandoned the earth. No, he intends to return in order to bring about the full reconciliation of heaven and earth. And in the meantime, He's commissioned his followers, his church, his mystical body to begin that work of reconciliation even now. See, here's where we get integrated into the story of the ascension. It's not just some weird thing that happened long ago. It's all about the church. Our first reading is taken from the very beginning of the Acts of the Apostles, and that book unfolds precisely as the story of the missionary adventures of the first Christian disciples. They preach, heal, exhort, perform miracles, raise the dead, go on missionary journeys, undergo mockery, persecution, and imprisonment, and most of them give their lives in witness to the gospel. What are they doing? But they are effecting even now Listen, under the leadership of the risen and ascended Jesus, they're affecting even now the beginnings of the reconciliation of heaven and earth. Listen to Paul now in our second reading, making the same point. And he, that's the Holy Spirit, gave some as apostles, others as prophets, others as evangelists, others as pastors and teachers, to equip the holy ones for the work of ministry. Now there's the church. Under the direction of the Spirit, the church now engages in these various ministries. Mind you, please, everybody, this is not just the church being nice. We're doing nice things. It's the church Effecting this eschatological realization, this reconciliation of heaven and earth. What is all this that Paul describes here but the work of the mystical body under the direction of Christ who has ascended into heaven? Here's something I've always found interesting. We speak in the creed of Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. Now, don't, don't literalize that, imagining that he's 
seated in a celestial throne room. It's symbolic language, meant to indicate the very point I've been making. Because the seat at the right hand of the king was the seat of power and privilege. The place of command. That's where orders went forth. Nations were governed from that seat. See the point now being made. The church is being governed even now from the seated and ascended Jesus. Not up, up, and away in some distant realm. Who cares? Kick the ladder out. He's, he's long gone. We're on our own. No, no, on the contrary. Ascended to the place where even now he orders the church. Here's where this idea of the session or the seating of Jesus comes from. It comes from the Gospel of Mark that we hear for today. Listen. So then the Lord Jesus was taken up into heaven and took his seat at the right hand of God. But they went forth and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word through accompanying signs. Can I suggest to everyone, there's the summary of my homily for day today. That's the point I've been trying to make. Look again. So then the Lord Jesus, not just Jesus, but the Curios, the Dominus, the Lord. Just as Caesar is the is the Curios, uh, he's the Lord. No, Jesus is the one that directs operations. Was taken up into heaven and is seated now at the right hand of God in order to command. And then again, under his direction, they, the first disciples, went forth and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them. Not up, up, and away, where he's gone forever. No, no, he's working with them and confirming the word through accompanying signs. That's why this Feast of the Ascension, everyone, is a feast of the church. It's the feast, if you want, of the empowerment of the church. It's the feast on which we celebrate we've been given our marching orders from this risen and ascended Lord. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Word on Fire. My prayer is that each of us may be on fire with love for God and neighbor. Until next week, I pray that God will bless you and those you love.